If you were to walk up the steps of the Supreme Court, you would not be surprised to see a rather large and impressive building looming overhead as you ascend a gigantic staircase to arrive at these enormous Roman kind of columns upholding a mural of sorts. And on that mural, on that depiction actually, we should call it, are three figures. The one is sitting front and center and clearly most prominent. To his left sits Confucius, representing great Eastern thought. To uh, his right sits Solon, representing Greek thought. But front and center is a giant figure holding two large stone tablets. And on each of those tablets is resting on each of his thigh, of course. And that, uh, those tablets represent, if you may not have guessed already, the Ten Commandments. And the man looming so large over the Supreme Court is none other than... Moses. That might not be surprising to know that those rules, those commands, these decrees that God has given laid the foundation for our system of judgment and justice. What might be more surprising is if you entered the house chamber, and as you arrive in there, you would see 23 figures actually surrounding you. One sitting in the center, of course, with 11 portraits all facing that one in the center. 11 on either side, each one set setting, uh, facing left, one set facing right, all of them a side portrait. Some of those faces representing people that wouldn't surprise you, I imagine. Names like Thomas Jefferson. Some names would be more surprising, at least some of them were surprising to me. Names like Napoleon. Some would be completely lost on all but the biggest of Bible nerds like myself, like Hammurabi, the king of Babylon. But all of them are facing one person, front and center, one who faces most prominent. Let's pull that face up right now. There it is. It is, of course, the man we've been talking about, Moses. The shadow of Moses stretches long and casts wide over all of our lives, over all of the world for millennia now. Of course, we know that Moses is one of the most prominent figures in some of the world's most prominent religions of Judaism, of Islam, and of course, Christianity. It would be no surprise to many of us, maybe all of us gathered here in a setting of worship, to know that the, 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 this man Moses and the revelation given to him, most specifically then the commandments and the decrees of the Lord our God, has set the foundation for our system of governance and justice. Like that or, or, or loathe that, embrace that or try to reject that, that is the fact of our lives. The impact, the influence, the significance of the life of this man has impacted each and every one of us. But as impressive, as amazing, as incredible as the life of Moses is, the book that we are about to get into, the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, is not primarily about him, of course. Moses is but a supporting character, a cast member in the work of God. The book of Exodus is about the work of God. It is about God bringing his people out of captivity and into the promise of freedom in the land that he would deliver them to. It centers around this work of God. And more specifically, as we will discover from our vantage point, now, millennia after, we have an insight, we have a key, we have an even deeper understanding to unlock this book of Exodus because ultimately it is about 
Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, all of the scriptures, all of this work of God, focuses in on, culminates to, points towards, and expands from the life, the ministry of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a Christmas story. You always got to go to Christmas movies because everybody seems to hold these ones in common and the preacher can go to these and, and, and be pretty assured that everybody's going to understand the reference. Have we all seen a Christmas story? Give me some indication of a Christmas story. All right, most people have seen a Christmas story. It is a classic. In the story, we meet the character Ralphie. And Ralphie, of course, spends every night listening to the radio broadcast of Little Orphan Annie. And we are privy to his joy and his excitement as he finally gets his... Anybody remember what it was? The No, no, no. He's getting, that's what he's going to get for Christmas. He's so stoked about that. What does he get in the, mail, in the mail at the beginning of the movie that is so excited? He gets the, the decoder ring. Remember? He gets the decoder ring. He listens to the Little Orphan Annie broadcast. They give the secret numbers. He turns his decoder ring to the right clue, and then he can unlock the message. So he diligently listens to the cast. He writes down all the numbers. Then it's a great scene if you remember it. What's the message? What's the secret urgent message that little orphan Annie has to give to the club? Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. It's a crummy crummy advertisement. It's a great scene. Well, for us, we have the decoder ring in Jesus Christ to understand what Exodus is really pointing us towards. See, if we just had Exodus, we'd have an amazing book, and I don't want to take away from that. If we just had Exodus, we would have an incredible story about an incredible God. We'd have a story about a God who gave a promise to a people to turn them into a nation and to lead them to a blessing for all the world. We would have the story of a God who hears the cry of his people, the story of a God who sends to them a deliverer. The story of a God who leads them out of captivity and into freedom. The story of a God who is sovereign, who is in control, who has a plan, who is compassionate and gracious. We would have an incredible story of an amazing God. And the story would lead us through these steps that would go from this divine deliverance to these divine decrees and to finally the divine dwelling place of God. And now that's pretty good. And I can say that because I didn't come up with it. You'll find that motif in most all of the explanations of the book of Exodus. But what we're going to find is the story that we hear about the divine deliverance, how God delivers his people. We will then learn more about that God through his divine decrees as he shows his people how to do life with him and for the greater good of all the surrounding nations. And then we would ultimately see that the wish, the desire, the hope of God is to make his dwelling place amongst his people, to dwell with his people ever and always. So we would have this incredible story of this incredible God. But friends, with Jesus Christ, with the understanding that we have through this decoder ring of Jesus Christ, we know so much more. We understand that our divine deliverer is Jesus Christ, who delivers us out of death and into life, out of sin and into forgiveness, out of the old and into the new. Amen, friends? We have the divine decree of Jesus who calls us to love one another as he has loved us and laid down his own life 
for us. We, in fact, have the most blessed revelation of all that Jesus has made his divine dwelling amongst us, amongst his people, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become now the dwelling place, the temples of the living God. So we have so much more in Jesus Christ. We have the decoder ring, the key to unlock, to understand, to apply and live into the exodus that God is offering to all of us. Let me give you a little precursor, a little preview, a little taste of what is going to come in the Exodus story. In the Exodus story, of course, we have the beginning of God bringing his people out and making them into a new nation. That would be the blessing for all the people. But in Jesus Christ, we understand that we are the new people, the very body of God, his church that he is calling out of the world and into the glorious light of life in him. In the Exodus story, we have a child that is going to be born, and he will be born under the impression of, of a Pharaoh who will bring great misery in the infanticide of the children of the people of God. And so we have the birth of Jesus Christ, who was also born under a tyrant, King Herod, who would likewise kill the male children under two years old as the great outcry of suffering rises up. From the people. In both the Exodus story, we have the outcry, the suffering, the calling of the people who are under the oppression, under the thumb of of Egypt. And then in Jesus Christ, so too, we see that the people are under the oppression of Rome and are crying out for a deliverer, but deliverance would come in a deeper way, more than they had ever asked or imagined, even could begin to understand the extent of deliverance and freedom that Jesus was going to begin. We are going to see. That just as Moses would lead people into freedom through the waters of the Red Sea, that Jesus will demonstrate and lead us into the waters of baptism that will lead to freedom for each and every one who passes by those waters in faith in Jesus Christ. We're going to see that just as Moses went to Mount Sinai to deliver the decrees, the commands, the word of God, so Jesus will go and deliver a sermon on the mount that will reveal the full extent of the grace and the love and the mercy of our God and the way that we are to live under his new command to love God and to love one another as he has loved each and every one of us. And so we have this, again, decodering, this key to understanding and unlocking the true meaning of the Exodus story through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And so let's dive in now to the Exodus story. And I'm going to read for you an extended passage. It's going to be the first half of the whole first chapter. And as often as is fitting, what we're going to do in this series is we are going to read and dive into extended passages of this Exodus story so that we can fully embrace and understand and know God's word for us. And so pay attention here. Listen to the word of God. Listen to the beginning of this great story of God leading his people out of captivity and into the wild life of freedom that ultimately will come in Jesus Christ. So there we are on the screen. Okay, follow along here, friends. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. 
Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing. Quite a line there, isn't it? A new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor and brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Let's take a step back. Not the beginning of the Exodus, the drawing out, but what drew them in first. The Bible starts with Exodus, the creation story. In the creation story, in the first 12 chapters, there are a few ups, there are a few downs, mostly more downs, and God decides to focus in from all of humanity to one man and one family. And he's going to call a man named Abram. And through Abram, the story of God and his plan for redemption will begin to expand out from his family to a nation, to all the nations, to all of creation. And so Genesis has this wide start and then this narrowing focus with this man named Abram. And let's remind ourselves now of the promise that is given to Abram and this blessing that is going to come. So now, Genesis chapter 12, just the first three verses here. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So if the promise of God's work of redemption is going to come through one man, and through that man to extend to all the nations and to all the world, then as we turn the page to the Exodus story, we must recognize this is a curious and maybe even disheartening beginning. If he's going to start with building a nation, he picks a man who is, doesn't even have one descendant, not even one child to his name. If he's going to build a nation through this man, why would he put this, pick this man and this woman who've not been able to have children and who are past the age of childbearing, we understand? If we understand that this promise is to deliver them into a new land, this land called Canaan, it's this curious thing that we're going to find them now stuck in Egypt. As we turn the page then to Exodus, the story that we thought we were going to get from Genesis of a blessing to a man, and the man becoming a nation, and the nation becoming a blessing to all this world in this promised land called Canaan, we have to pause and understand that they seem to have taken a most significant detour. 
a detour that has led them for some 400 years off of the path and the plane that it seemed that God was going to reveal. And so if you allow a preacher to preach for just a moment, I think we need to talk about the detour for a little bit. Because detours, divine detours, are a part of the life that we have in faith. You probably once heard it talked about from a preacher that we are called to this great new life that we have in Jesus Christ, that in Jesus Christ we have the promise of this forgiveness, that in Jesus Christ we have this promise of an abundant life, that in Jesus Christ we can know hope and we can know love and we can know joy and we can experience grace, that in Jesus Christ because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit we can experience these fruits of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control, that in Jesus Christ we are being formed into a new people with a new beginning and, and, and that beginning can offer blessing and abundance and joy in our lives and yet the fact of the matter seems to be for almost every one of us No, I'm going to say for every one of us, at some point, at some season, in some way, at some time in our lives, we seem to have then taken a significant divine detour. All of our lives seem to take these divine detours. I already want to call it a divine detour because what feels like just a detour, what seems like it being pushed off the path, God is still in there. But our lives take these detours Maybe we began to experience the detour whenever we didn't make the grades that we knew we needed to make to get into the school that we thought was a part of God's plan for us. Maybe we didn't make the cut in our program to get on to the grad program that we thought was going to open the door to the path that God was going to direct us on. Maybe we t- the divine detour happened when the promotion passed by us and went to another. Or maybe when the job simply just fell apart and we found ourselves back at square one. Maybe the divine detour happened for you when the one who said, I do, said, I don't anymore. Maybe the divine detour happened for you when you got the report from the doctor and said the rest of your days aren't going to play out like you were hoping they were going to play out. Maybe the divine detour happened to you whenever you got the call and the one you loved most wasn't going to be there to spend the rest of your years together. Maybe the divine detour happened when you thought you were going to retire and the resources just weren't there to retire anymore. I don't know what the divine detour has been in your life, but friends, I can tell you as a pastor who's had the privilege and the joy of speaking with and counseling to countless people now, every one of our lives experiences a divine detour. That person sitting beside you, that person in front of you, that person behind you, all of us gathered here, their lives have been touched, have been affected, have been changed by the divine detour. Friends, this is the promise that we have. God is with us in those detours. God is with us in those detours. In fact, I want to clue you in on the secret, friends. It's not just that God is still with you in the detour, it's that God is using the detour. The fact of the matter is that Exodus doesn't happen without an Egypt. Do you get where I'm going here, friends? Exodus doesn't happen without an Egypt. A being drawn out doesn't happen without being drawn 
in. You don't get divine freedom unless you know what it is to be in captivity. You don't understand forgiveness until you understand the weight and the oppression of the sin. You don't get the exodus without going to an Egypt. And God is in the process of using these divine detours to get us where we need to be to lead us to where he wants us to go. Friends, it goes even deeper than that. God just isn't in the detour, using it to get us from where we are to where he wants us to go. He's using the divine detour to make us. Actually, let me go a little deeper on that. To break us and then remake us. To break us. To sometimes feel like we're in this crucible of life and faith that is crushing and grinding and wearing us down. But it is in that place when we are at our worst that often God will meet us and make us into our most. Into the man, into the woman, into the person he needs us to be. And he can't get us there without going through the divine detour first. I don't know if this is good news, friends, and I don't really actually think this is news yet to any one of you. You're like, George, let's get on with the good news because you are just telling the story of my life, that I felt like I've been on this detour for a long time. Friends, sometimes the detour lasts a season. Sometimes it lasts for 400 years. But God is always with us in these detours. I mean, imagine, I mean, imagine if Abram and Sarah already had a child and God calls them to go to a new land. Who wants to pick up and uproot their lives right when they're in the throes of parenting and just getting settled in? Nobody wants to mess that up. What if this family did pick up and go into this promised land and this ragtag bunch of shepherds shows up to a land already filled with giants and says, It's ours. They could have just laughed them off the face of the earth. We don't know all the what ifs, but we know what God was doing. He was going to be in and through this divine detour to make Abram into the man he needed to be, to bring him into the nation that he was going to become, that would become the exodus into the promised land. Abram actually got an insight into this, which is our key to unlocking and understanding the insight of the Exodus story. See, we're always asking for a word from God. The interesting thing about Abram is he wasn't asking for a word from God. He was content in the land of Ur, just trying to make a living and hoping to have a family to call his own. But he got a word from God giving him a great promise that he would become a great nation, and through that nation, a blessing would come to all of creation. But he got a second word from God. Another word that he was asking for, but he got the insight that maybe he wasn't looking forward to. As we turn to Genesis 15, God gives him this insight to how it was going to play out. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, For 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward, they will come out with great possessions. 
You see, this is what can happen in the divine detour. God took Abram, and in time, through his own ups and downs, through his own plate in Egypt and his coming out, through his successes and through many mistakes, mind you, Abram finally begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat, you guys love, you know, the old school language, the begattings there, 12. 12 sons finally come to Jacob. It seems like the promise may be starting to unfill as fruit and multiplication is starting to happen. And yet, one of those sons, Joseph, falls out with his brothers. That's just a polite way of putting it, of course. We know that Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. He's handed over into slavery. He's sold into Potiphar's house. Just as you think he's maybe about to rise out of that pit, he is betrayed again and is put into prison. He helps some people get out. You think he might find his way out, but he's left in that prison for years and years and years more until finally he is called upon to interpret a dream for Pharaoh. The dream, in summary, is this. Seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. The famine will be so awful, it'll consume all that the years of plenty gave and that much more. Joseph, after 23 years, friends, after 23 years on what he thought was a divine, on a, was a, just a detour of life, leading him to a pit of prison and betrayal, he begins to see the light. He begins to see how God has been in the detour all along. He rises to power. He becomes the savior of Egypt and ultimately the savior of his brothers and his own family. If you know the story, you know the drama, you know how amazing, how powerful it is. As famine besets the whole land, Joseph's brothers, the very ones who betrayed him, come to Egypt hoping for food, hoping for life, hoping for a savior, and they find it in none other than Joseph. And we don't have time to unpack how amazing the story is, but we know that they're terrified. The brothers are terrified knowing what they did to Joseph, knowing that he has the power to crush them under his thumb with just not even a word, just a, and they could be done. But he reveals his understanding that this entire detour has been part of God's divine plan. When he says, what you intended for evil God meant for good. What you intended to kill me is actually going to bring you life. What you thought was going to wipe me off the face of the earth will actually be the key to unlocking the potential of our entire family and our entire future as a people of God. Sometimes the detour lasts a season in our lives. Sometimes the detour lasts 23 years in a prison. Sometimes the detour is going to last 400 years. Because the drama continues. Joseph dies. Pharaoh dies. A new Pharaoh rises up. God's promise is being fulfilled. The people are being fruitful. The people are multiplying. A nation is starting to grow, but then fear sets in. The people are put under slavery and oppression. And then finally, friends, and then finally, the stage is set. After 400 years of this divine detour, the stage is set for divine deliverance, for the divine decrees to come from God, and for the divine dwelling place for God to be with His people ever and always. Friends, 
There's a few things that I know from this story, two that I want to tell you this morning, two things that I want us to live into for the next several weeks, for this summer season together in this Exodus story. The first is that the detour is making you into the man or the woman that God needs you to be on the other side. Friends, I know that is hard. I know that isn't good news. And that might not even be news for you, but I want you to have renewed hope and faith and trust that in the detour, God is making you, molding you, shaping you, transforming you, building the quality, building the character, building the resolve, growing the faith that you will need on the other side of deliverance to follow the decrees and to allow your life to become the dwelling place of God. God is with you in the divine detour. God is with you ever and always, even in what seems to be the detours of life. They might end up being the most significant seasons. So God is with you, friends. God is with you, people of God, in the divine detours. Secondly, the detour is ultimately how God is going to get you to where you need to be. If you were writing your own story, if I, w- if I was writing my own story, it would not be the story of my life. But looking back, back now over the years of my life and my ministry, my marriage, and my parenting, and my being a father, I can see that in each and every episode, in each and every season that I thought was simply a detour from the direction where I thought God wanted me to go, God was actually redirecting me to where he needed me to be. Right, friends? He's redirecting us and getting us to where he needs to be through the divine detours. If your life right now is in a season of detour, have faith that God is shaping and making and molding you into the man or woman he wants you to be. And on the other side of that detour, God will get you to where he needs you to be. And it might not be where you ever thought your life would have ended up. But he will be there with you in the midst of it. And now, friends, I want to invite our team to come up and lead us in some more worship so we can worship our God of divine detours, of divine deliverance, divine decrees, and divine dwelling. But as they do, and as promised, I want you to understand here at the beginning of our journey into the Exodus, how all of this, how all of this is pointing us towards Jesus Christ and allowing us to understand who He is and how He is working in and through our lives for the fulfillment of God's purpose and plan. Because friends, our God in Jesus Christ is the God who went on the divine detour for our salvation. I want us to understand this before we move on into worship. Because this is the decoder ring. This is the key to unlocking and understanding our exodus, friends. Please do not miss this. Please do not miss this. I once heard it put that God will never use a knife on his people that he has not first used on himself. Our God who takes us into divine detours is the God who himself went on the great detour himself. The path, the story, the tale that we would like to tell would take us from from earth onto heaven. But God took the detour of coming from heaven to earth. From earth to a grave. From a grave to the gates of hell itself, so that he could take us with him when he turned the corner 
and defeated sin and defeated death and raised a new life and offers us the deliverance we are all looking for. So the God who leads us in the divine detour is the God who himself who detoured his own being to us so that he would become for us our deliverer, so that he would be able to reveal to us the decrees that would lead us into life so that he himself would become our dwelling place as we could become together the body of Christ, the sons and the daughters of God. Amen, friends? Amen, friends. This is who Jesus Christ is for us the God who took the detour that leads to our deliverance by his decree of life and love over us and inviting us to dwell forever in the house of the Lord together. Friends, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for the man, for the woman, for the child, for the couple, for the person or persons here this morning who walked in here feeling like their life had taken a detour that led them off of your plan and out of your favor and far from you. I pray that now on the other side of this service of worship, this time that we've shared together, that there would be a deeper understanding and more than that, a faith and a trust that this detour is itself divine, that you are walking with them through this, shaping and making and molding them into the man, into the woman, or the person you need them to be so that you can finally get them to where you want them to go. I pray that they would go with you through this detour, that they would trust that you are delivering them, that they would lean into the decree that they need to keep loving you with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving their neighbors as themselves, and that they will have the faith and the trust that you are dwelling with them even now ever and always the promise you've given us that you will be with us to the very end of the age. Be with that man, be with that woman, be with that person that they understand that this detour, this detour is still part of your divine plan for their life. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.